Yes, sir. It is all eyes on Cleveland. It is December 16th, 2020. Coming off of a game of epic proportions. Tonight, we will talk all about it. A little game react. Take you through one that is there for the history books as your Cleveland Browns sit at 9 and 4. This is All Eyes on Cleveland, the show that interviews the top personalities in the Cleveland sports landscape discussing the pressing issues that face your Cleveland Browns. Tonight we have a special guest, Craig Fountain, will join us from Ginger's Talk Football Podcast and the Browns Table. Uh, We'll discuss everything going on with your Cleveland Browns uh, and more. Mikey on the ones and twos, as usual, gentleman and scholar, sir, you are. Uh, my name is Brad Ward. I'm your host. This is All Eyes on Cleveland. All Eyes on Cleveland can, uh, the podcast can be found where all popular podcasts are found. The simulcast is going out to Facebook Live, Periscope, and of course, YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, please hit the subscribe button and the little notification bell so that you are notified every time. We come on the air with fabulous Browns content for you. Tonight, I'm going to bring on my uh, special guest, Craig Fountain, and we are going to talk about this game uh, that uh, is one for the history books, they're saying. So we're going to get into a lot of that, a lot of what happened in this game, uh, what it means to you, uh, and what it means to us. Uh, and then uh, how to proceed forward here with just three games left in the season and a look at the playoff picture and more. But let's bring him in and introduce him now. How are we doing tonight, Craig? Welcome to the show. All eyes on Cleveland. We're glad to have you, sir. I appreciate you having me on. I'm very grateful. This will be fun. Yeah, so you are the host of the uh, Ginger, is it Ginger's or Ginger Talk uh, Football Ginger's- Podcast? Ginger Stock Football Podcast, and uh, I do that with my brother, also a ginger, and uh, you know, we we, <laughs> that, we have fun, and we sense. talk football, yeah, absolutely, so that makes keep sense. it simple. And, <laughs> and then an awesome idea that I kind of was looking at for you, you got the Browns table going, uh, or gonna get it going, right, and uh, that looks yeah. like it's gonna be awesome. It's, it's certainly gonna be interesting, and uh, it, it's a new project that hopefully we have going on. Uh, starting later this week. And the idea is that, you know, when you're doing a podcast and things like that, you have lots of people that want to come on and be guests and things like that. And we're very grateful for everybody that's asked to. Uh, But we're not a Browns podcast. And I'm networking with Browns fans. And Browns fans want a place to talk and not everybody can get on a radio show, this and that and the other. So I don't want to go too far into it. But uh, essentially, we're going to create a roundtable discussion via live stream that hopefully anybody can join. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's a, that's really cool, uh, and uh, I love that idea. So uh, check both those out. I'm sure people can find that uh, the Ginger Talk Football Podcast where all podcasts are available. Is that right? Absolutely, everywhere. All right, let's get into this uh, here a little bit. So the uh, it's an epic game. I mean, everybody's talking about it. Best game of the year. Uh, you know, even I guess Coach Harbaugh said to uh, Stefanski after the game, 
that's one of the best games he's ever been involved in. You know, Stefanski was kind of like, oh, well, Coach Harbaugh was on the winning side of things, you know, at the time. I'm sure he felt a little differently about it. But everybody talking about it and what, a, what an amazing, incredible game it was. Uh, let's, let's do this. Uh, when the Browns get the ball back with under two minutes left in the game, Craig, and uh, after, you know, Lamar has pulled his heroics and come back out on the field, uh, there's two under two minutes left. How did you really feel at that point? Before Baker came on the field and they drove down and scored probably too quickly, how were you feeling about the game as a Browns fan? I was, I was excited, nervous, scared, all at the same time. I really didn't know how to feel, and this is where these are the types of games, you, you know, and everybody's talking about this is one of the best games to ever be played. Uh, it was it was an instant classic, and these are the types of games where legends are made. And it was a huge opportunity for Baker. I was interested to see how he would handle it, come out, drive the ball down, take command of the offense, and uh, really, again, excited, scared, nervous. A little bit of everything was kind of pumping through my veins as as we were watching them get ready to trot back on the field. I'm thinking. Dude, Baker's going to take him right down the field. Like, I really felt that way. And I haven't felt that way. I'll be honest. There's, you know, we can talk 10 years plus of games where how are they going to find a way to lose this one, right? Oh, man, you know, they're screwed now. Or they, you know, but the feeling that I had at that time was that Baker was going to drive him right down the field and they were going to score. Uh, I did not expect them to score so quickly and so easily. Right. Um, that was shocking. But uh, I think that, and we'll t- I'm going to talk more about this on the show later, but I think that, that just that that feeling came instead of the impending doom feeling right. is a huge step in the right direction. For the Browns, right? Like that feeling that you have confidence in your team, they're going to take you down the field and score again and give you a chance to win the game, even though they didn't, is totally different for me. Absolutely. And being able to have that confidence is not something we're used to. And it's something that it it may take a while for us to be able to handle. And there's no such thing as moral victories. But at the same time, it, it was new to feel that dread at the end of the game where it it, it was something that was out of your control. It was something that uh, maybe to some extent was out of Cleveland's control. You know, you have Justin Tucker, one of the all-time greats, and Uh, you just know he's going to hit this thing, you know. So a little bit of dread, but it's it's, it was a different type of feeling than what we're used to. It was. It was was completely different for me, and even just the entire game, the – the intensity, the back and forth, the competitiveness, the fire, the uh, passion that the Browns players played with. I mean, it was incredible. It's something to be proud of. No moral victories. Totally with you there with Coach Stefanski. At this point, you, there's no moral victory. But there are there were some things, I won't call them moral victories, that we can take away from this game as I think as a bigger picture positive, okay? Um all right, so on that topic, well, first of all, nine rushing touchdowns scored in this game, a new NFL record, pretty remarkable there, right? Uh, right. And uh, no, so no more victories. Did they show you something new in this one? For me, I wanted to see um, really, Craig, 
could they come back against one of these heavyweight teams, right? Like, so we, first it was, can we beat one of these teams, right? And Tennessee, we proved that. Uh, we jumped all over them, whooped their ass in the first half, right? And just, you know, the second half, it is what it is, playing prevent all second half. So then you get this game, and kind of one of the things that I wanted to see was how would they respond taking a big punch at this point in the season versus earlier in the season? Are they really a different team? And how would Baker respond? Can Baker drop back and throw you back into a game, right? Because really, if you're going into the playoffs, that's that's going to be part of this maybe, right? We don't know. But we haven't seen that all season, and he absolutely did it. So he proved a ton to me right there. What do, what do you think about that? I think it I think it shows a lot of growth. Uh more than just from Baker. It shows growth from, you know, for the coaching staff, the play calling, and really, again, no moral victories, but this is a good kind of dress rehearsal. We might be calling it something else if we had won, but undeniably we're gonna face competitive teams like this in the playoffs. I, assuming we get there, and and I think we will. We're going to have to chase points with the Chiefs or the Titans or whoever's there. You know, so really the growth that that Baker showed and the coaching staff showed, especially on offense, coming into Tennessee and getting that win and then following it up with another game like this, it just hurts that that it was a loss because you really want to take all the positives and just really throw a a W on top of that. But it's reason for excitement for sure. The most important thing, and you tell me if you agree with me or not, or if I'm jumping the gun here, okay? The most important thing that I can take away from this, and some people aren't there yet, but I take away from this game that at this point in time, I'm okay with calling Baker the guy and look at signing him to a fifth-year extension. He's yeah, proved so, to me a lot in the last few weeks. Fifth year, fifth year option for sure. Uh, yeah, I think it's time to start thinking about beyond that. Um, you know, he may not want to talk about that yet. There may be more money depending on what happens next year. You know, at the end of the day, this these guys are pros. It's their job, and and whatever decision he makes is going to have a lasting impact on him and his family for the next four, five, six years, depending on what kind of extension he signs. So uh, he may gamble on himself. He's that type of a guy. So I think fifth-year option at a minimum, but maybe start getting that conversation going. I think that the only folks at this point that really aren't on board with that are maybe some, and I, and I hate to say it, but maybe won't admit that that they were wrong about the guy and, and that there there's yes. a lot of logic and reason for, for them to move in that direction. Yeah, so um, there are uh, there is a f- just a, a group of people out there that, for whatever reason, don't want to see Baker do well, despite being Browns fans. Right. Uh, I, I don't understand that. I'll never understand it. Uh, I think that they don't want to be proven wrong or whatever, but or maybe it's just easier to make a joke uh, of the Browns than it is to embrace the, their seriousness. I don't I don't really grasp that mindset. Do you get where they're coming from? Like the Baker haters and the 
and the people that like okay so he throws that yeah. interception in the game right and he hadn't thrown an interception in what like five five four games he was 11 intercept or 11 touchdowns in a row he had the longest streak in the NFL without an interception he throws right. that interception to Bowser uh and boom they're coming out of the woodwork on Twitter there they are oh there's Baker throwing it I mean yeah are you kidding me what's wrong with people Right. And, and I, I don't know if I might get some heat for saying this, uh, but, and I'm no psychologist, but to me, it may be a defense mechanism because, Maybe. you know, uh, you get you get disappointed enough times. You're not going to you don't want to allow yourself to get your hopes up. But for me, I'm going to bask in the moment and I'm going to take solace in, in the fact that he's been able to stay healthy for this many games and he's been able to keep us in games for this long, considering all the change and the lack of continuity and all that good stuff. And and he's talented. And I don't miss wondering who's going to play quarterback next week. Uh, Ken Dorsey or Charlie Whitehurst. You know, he's introducing himself <laughs> to guys in the huddle. I don't know who wants to go back to that. And that's something that we've uh-huh. been living with for years. And this, this to me, you know, I understand if nobody wants to put him in the top 10 or say he is elite. But there's a lot of quarterbacks that have provided franchises with a lot of stability that – Aren't aren't as talented as Baker, so that's that's my perspective. I, I agree, I, and this offense fits him well. Um, he seems to thrive in this offense. I mean that that defense could not stop him. I mean uh, the other night, so he throws that interception, and instead of going away, it was like a, a switch went off. Like I'm not going to be denied, right? Right. And he just went into that zone again and just just driving the f- team down the field. Just incredibly impressive stuff from him, from Stefanski, from everybody that stepped up. Uh, there's a, lo- a long list of names of people that stepped up. The, the offense looked almost unstoppable at times during the game. Um, now, the style of play that they're playing, and, and I heard somebody ask this question the other day, and, and I... I didn't really know how to answer it because you don't want to rein in an offense that's playing so well, right? But you do have that ball control asset or, or facet of your game that we've used to, to win a, a couple times during the year, and you can certainly lean on the run game. Should they do that more to help their defense, or is it okay to embrace this uh, pass-run combination where – at times, they're just going up and down the field quickly. I think you have to embrace the flexibility that you have to have that choice. And and really, if, if the matchup calls for it, you run, you run, and you don't abandon it. You stick to that game plan, and you allow Baker to throw 14 or 16 passes, and hopefully he plays efficient and mistake-free, and he's the quote-unquote game manager. Um, don't like that term, but hey, a game manager, if you're winning ball games, he's doing his job. You don't have to throw up 330 and four touchdowns every game to win. On the flip side, if you need to be able to chase points, if if you're going to get in a shootout like this one and, and their defense isn't terrible, you want the guy that can also flip that switch and turn it on. And I think he proved that he can do that. And I think that we've seen different different sides of this offense throughout the season in different spots depending on the matchup. So – uh, you love to see him run the ball. I think you. I think the idea has to be run the ball first, and if you need to switch gears, 
you know, once you find your identity, look at the Chiefs. When the Chiefs are playing big with a lead, they're not running the ball. They're still throwing it up. You know, yeah. that's their game. That's their game. Yeah. And some of that is aggressiveness, but some of it is probably lack of trust in the run game. And we have the luxury of not having to deal with those types of decisions. Play the matchup. That's all you got to do. And no doubt Stefanski has probably put together the best game plans ever put together in that facility. Has to be. Yeah, the no question program. about it. Yeah, uh, absolutely love everything that he's doing. He certainly seems to be in his own sort of groove at this point. And the way that, in the way that he's been able to change the culture there in such a short amount of time is absolutely astonishing. Um, just the, and you can see it in the in the players' uh, buy-in. Uh, from you know, I use always use Higgins as an example of that. Like, look at Higgins last year. And the back and forth with Freddie Kitchens. He didn't even dress at the beginning of this year, yet stayed ready. When he got his opportunity, he took advantage of it. And his first opportunity, he had to say something about his coaching staff, is, was, uh, I know they believe in me. I was going to stay ready to, like, right toe in the company line. Uh, you listen to Baker. He almost sounds like Stefanski now. They use the same verbiage. There's just a lot of buying in, and you can see it in the little areas like that, that it means a lot. I think. You you hit the nail on the head when you said buy-in. There's definitely <laughs> buy-in here, and and you know there, there's reports that Richard Higgins could have went elsewhere for more money, and to think that they didn't have the conversation with him that that's the way this year was going to progress that you know he might not see you know they had to have had that conversation with him and the fact that he accepted it and he stayed ready and when called upon the guy has done nothing but produce since he's been in town when called upon. When they call his name, he goes in there and he makes plays. Now, he was a little excited at the beginning of the Baltimore game, but that's that's there's leadership on that sideline that can pull him out and say, hey, calm down. Let's get this together. You got to hold on to the ball. You're going to get your chances. Let's roll. Let's, yeah. let's win. And uh, that's something we haven't had in the past. And, and you see things like that happen, and, and the camera goes to Stefanski, and you don't see fear in the man's eyes. You don't see uh, irrationality. Uh, I, I know you want coaches to have a certain level of emotion, but the guy is the guy is just he's the right guy, the right temperament, I think. And and uh, I, I'm so happy. I'm so happy to have Stefanski in Cleveland. Yeah, it, it feels good to know that you have the guy uh, long term that you can kind of depend on to build this thing up. All right. Now that we've said all that nice stuff about him, let's second guess him a little bit here. Sure. Um, <laughs> Nobody's perfect. End, right? At the end of the first half, he got ultra aggressive there. Um, and it ended up, it cost him because they they gave the ball back to Baltimore with time and they went down and scored and were getting the ball back in the second half where he probably could have ran it three times and got out of there with the score where it was. Thoughts on that? Uh, you know, I, I can see, I can see both sides of it. Uh, you know, part of him, I'm sure wanted to play aggressive and and try to make something happen. It did the, the dice didn't fall where he wanted them to. And, uh, you know, had it, had it gone a little bit differently, we might be having a different conversation, but that's just one of those gambles that I'm sure on his end was calculated. Uh, I'm sure this was scripted. Hey, if we're in this situation with, you know, in a two minute drill, what do we do? What if we're up? What if we're down? You know, these are these are things that I think are decided before the game is played, and sometimes it it works, sometimes it doesn't. But I can I can understand the argument that maybe we should have scripted it a little 
a little differently. Um, yeah, yeah. I, it, I'm not real upset with that or or the end of the game because I don't, you know, he came out and said, you know, I didn't expect Cream Hunt to score. You know, right. you know yeah. what a problem to have. You didn't think your guy was going to score. You know what I mean? But uh, no, and, and one of the things with Stefanski is, is he's been so on point with his challenges. His, uh, you know, yes. there's a, there's, there's things that he's just so good at when it comes to the challenges and the strategy. There's been no blatant clock management issues. I mean, our clock management issues are a byproduct of production via touchdowns. You know, that's, yep. <laughs> you know, that that's a different ball game than, hey, we should have called a timeout or, hey, your guy wasn't prepared to get the get the snap and spike the ball. You know, those types of things. So. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure that there's there should be some comfort level there that this was a calculated move and and it just happened to not not work. Yeah, it didn't. Uh, but I don't blame him really. I mean, he, I, I want him to be aggressive there. You, you, you kind of think about it in that in the terms of the game, you know. Looking back at it, Monday morning quarterbacking it is really easy to say. Hey, they're getting the ball in the second half. Maybe it's easier just to go to the locker room there without potentially giving Lamar the ball back. And who would have thought that he would have just ran down the field anyways like he did. Uh, But I like his aggressiveness. I mean, how many times did he go for it on fourth down? I love how much they go on for it on fourth down. They got it multiple times to keep him in the game. So I really can't fault him if he's going to be aggressive there and then stay that way in the second half and go for it on those fourth downs. As long as he's steady and stays the same, and it's not just like a up and down, but he's totally steady, and he never seems to 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 vary from his his uh, his demeanor and what he's set out to do. So you know, once he makes a decision, he's going to go with it. I, I can live with that. Um, there's a couple. They got back things. in. Yeah, go ahead. There, there's a couple things in. in of course, I, I'm a I'm a pretty optimistic Browns fan. I, I don't think most Browns fans yeah. are as optimistic as I am. But there are some things that I've seen, not necessarily in this game, but that have kind of driven me nuts this season. Playing with a lead, I want to see a little more aggressiveness on defense. If we're looking at oh. a strategy thing from from you know a, a Stefanski perspective, I would love to kind of keep the foot on the gas when we have a second half lead because there's a tendency sometimes to to get in that prevent to play the bend but don't break defense but it hasn't really worked out and I don't know that our personnel is really equipped to not break we're playing a bend yeah. but kind of break defense and it's it's really resulting in some close calls that's my my major bone to pick with that being said you know some of that's personnel issues and uh you know we saw it we we had multiple opportunities to make big stops in in this game on third and fourth downs against the Ravens and, and we weren't able to execute. Yeah, I would agree with you. The um the second half of the Titans game really bothered me just because of the way that they approached that like really just let's just hang on until, you know, the this clock hits zero. Uh defensively more so than offensively because there was times in that second half where they were able to sustain some drives and take some clock, run some clock, and maybe they they just got a field goal the one time, and and that was that was enough, right? But mm-hmm. still, 
Um, and if he if Baker doesn't fumble, it never really gets that close. This probably right. ends up being like forty-one twenty-eight or whatever. But I get totally get that uh, the prevent, prevent, keep everything in front of you, give up twelve yards of play. You know what I mean? Uh, right. That I, that's I'm not okay with that. You kind of need to treat it like you know at least in the third quarter maybe treat it like you're only up six or whatever like that, right? Like, don't go Absolutely. full prevent mode. Like, it's like there's two minutes left in the game. Um, let's talk about some personnel that disappointed me here, okay? Sure. Uh, Mac Wilson, who I was really high on after his rookie year, despite showing at times to be undisciplined and kind of whatever, but I thought he showed some promise as far as, uh, you know, his passion, and, and he seems like a, a guy that was around the ball. But he has not played well this year. I know that he got hurt, but he was absolutely awful in this game and killed them multiple times, took bad angles, missed tackles. One time got right in the hole on a third and short late in the game, and I don't know what happened to him, Craig. I don't know if, like, a sniper got him or what, but he was right in the hole. And I, it looked like he just fell out of the way, and yeah. for Dobbins to run right through the hole, and it was, it was very mysterious. The sniper got him something I don't know, but it, I don't know what happened to him there. But it, it was atrocious. It was awful because uh, he was set up in the hole. He was right where he was supposed to be, and he just kind of fell to the left. Like there was nobody there blocking him or anything. Right. <laughs> I, really, I, I don't think you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, I do. I do, and uh, he I don't did think not he make a, it. No tackle. He did right? not. No tackles. No tackles. So, no so tackles. there's certainly some issues there. Mac is a guy, and, and I think I think you really highlighted it. He, he he plays passionate, and and if 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 he's producing, you kind of have like some momentum production type type stuff out of him. Uh, but no, disappointing season. But I I don't think it's time to give up on the guy. The guy's got talent, and he's got passion. And and really, I don't know if it's a coaching issue, uh, if it's a, uh, a study a study room <laughs> issue, a game you know a film room issue. Yeah. I don't know what it is, yeah. but uh, you know, when guys like Sione Takitaki are ascending in the right direction, you really hope to have a guy like Mac Wilson following suit. And yes, and uh, with with a little bit better linebacker play, the the secondary, the injuries in the secondary, they don't have to. They don't have to struggle so hard, and and it brings them into focus and, and gives you really something. You know, if you can't if you can't fix the linebacking room, you've got you've got some pretty big problems in the secondary. You do, and uh, it's hard. And we're going to get to this more with Joe Woods in a minute here, but it's hard as we start to talk about some of the defensive personnel. It's hard to know what to blame defensively, right? Because sure. some of the personnel isn't going to be here next year. We know it's not going to be here next year. It's just a stopgap, and they're not very good. Like So MJ Stewart was signed in the offseason, mm-hmm. and you know I did my little scouting thing on him, and my scouting thing on him said he's short and he's slow, and he's can't cover all that well you know he right. okay so yeah he can tackle okay and he can play up near the line of scrimmage all right so that's one of our options at the nickel slot the other one when forced to use when denzel goes out 
right, and we're that thin, you're forced to either use Tavier Thomas, special teams player, who actually I don't think played any downs, maybe one or two mm-hmm. downs on defense before this year at all. He was their option early in the season at the slot corner, nickel corner, or and then they or they can go to MJ Stewart. Now MJ Stewart had a good game last week and, and right, you know, uh, was in the right place, right time, got the interception, seemed to hold his own in that game, but was god awful in this game. Right. I mean, they targeted him and they used him for what exactly that I said day one in in that he was slow and short and it showed up on the field big time. Absolutely. And and you I'm I'm sure they have a a good reason to play him over uh over Tavier, but uh man, yeah. It, it's it's so tough right now with the injuries. You know, they I think they had a plan and and you always want to have depth, but I don't think they thought they would need to dig this deep. And and it's yes. disappointing. Um you know, and and there's a there's not a huge market out there. And the guys that are out there, if you want to go sign somebody off the street, you got to wait a couple weeks to bring them into the facility. Uh, most of them have come out and said they want nothing to do with Cleveland in the past, you know, yes. regardless of who's here. So it, at least when you look at Tony Jefferson and some of those guys, but you know, there's, there's secondary guys out there, but uh, I think that this is a chance to develop them. It's just, it's such a shame that there's so much on the line while you're doing it. It would be a lot different if yes. we were four nine. You know, so hopefully we get some some healthy guys back. Really missing Ronnie Harrison. That was that was a great move, I think, by the front office, get going and getting him. But uh uh what are your thoughts on Harrison? Love him. Absolutely love him. Loved what he did uh when they finally kind of got him got him, you know, it took him a couple weeks to get acquainted with the scheme. You know, they're running a lot of that Seattle three press bail, mm-hmm. a lot of the cover four. And and they kind of they got him doing that. And then they really got him going the one week that they uh, finally, like, if you remember preseason, Joe Woods talked a lot about before Delpit got hurt that he was going to run a lot of that dime with three safeties on the field right. and kind of use that Viper uh, hybrid safety, uh, you know, uh, linebacker up near the line of scrimmage or wherever you wanted to put him, right, and take away some of those mismatches that teams get with tight end on linebacker, et cetera, right? And right. he wanted to do that. And then Delpit got hurt, and we didn't hear anything else about it, and we didn't see it at all in his schemes. But then after Harrison was healthy for a couple weeks, all of a sudden, we saw uh, the one week on big third downs, he went with uh, the three safeties with Harrison up near the line of scrimmage, and he got a sack, and he got a big stop, and he was really just playing well, and he does it all. like He can cover well, and he can play up near the line of scrimmage. I really like him, and I really envision, Craig, and you tell me if you do the same, but I, I, I envision seeing a Delpit Harrison uh starting safety core next year that's going to be huge especially if you get every if you get everybody straightened out that's huge you got delpit and harrison and i think that that'll be a really good tandem there you know and having ward healthy and greedy williams uh you know hopefully he gets better he's got that nerve damage going on on the shoulder it'd be nice to see uh if if he's still got it and, and what kind of future we have for him and we have we have some Okay, depth at corner. I, I, I'm a fan of of uh, Terrence Mitchell. I like Terrence Mitchell. 
And, uh, you know, there's a couple guys we like get away, though. It, it makes you kind of second guess the, the Schobert, the Kirksey, the Demarius Randall, uh, some of those players. And I think that we just had commitment issues in the front office and we kind of gambled a little bit with the depth and we we lost the gamble. Um, that has to be what's it. But I'm looking forward to see seeing what Delpit could add to this. And, and our defense, considering that we have, you know, six out of the 11 guys or, or maybe guys that you planned on starting, uh, you know, you don't want to give up 47 points ever, but uh, considering the circumstances, uh, you know, I think we're making do and hopefully they can keep us competitive against some of these high octane offenses we're going to see in the playoffs. Yeah. So that's, that's where we're, I'm going to get to Joe Woods here in a minute, but a little bit further, but uh and some questions about him and everything. But, all right, so last personnel guy, and, and he's been called out, and he's a, kind of the he, – he gets killed in, in Cleveland. You know who I'm talking about, 23, Sendejo. He's not good. He, he shouldn't – he never should have been in this position, okay? He never – when the Browns acquired him, he was never going to be a starter. But Joe Woods just loves him to death – he just loves him some Sandejo. He mm-hmm. never leaves the field. And the only time he left the field in this game is when he got a concussion. And I believe he does, is in concussion protocol. So he may not play uh, on Sunday or Sunday night. Yeah, so uh, we'll get to injuries later. But Sandejo does not wrap up when he tackles anybody. I don't know if he thinks that he like is so powerful, like – that he's going to knock out somebody every time, but he never wraps up. I don't know if you've noticed this. I have. But he'll run full speed into somebody with his hands down to his side like he's going to knock him over. Mm-hmm. And he tried to do it against J.K. Dobbins at the goal line on the two-point conversion, and he almost died, Craig. Yeah, he, he om- it looked like he, he almost killed himself. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know if there's some fundamentals things. You know, there was some – there was some uh, – the thought Denzel Ward needed to be taught how to tackle. And uh, safeties – safeties are more likely to put that shoulder down and, and try to come in there like a rocket and not wrap up. I don't know if you're going to wrap up J.K. Dobbins, Dobbins on the goal line. Um, maybe he thought that was his best shot, but it, it is going to get you hurt. And if you're not in that situation where it's a score – that's how you give up yards after the catch. And that's how teams break off big plays. And, and those are the big plays you can't get up. So you got to be able to wrap it, wrap them up. And, and uh, you know, at that point, you did your job. If, if, if they're making it to you, especially in the positions that he's been in, where the ball is being thrown down the field, if they make it to you after catching the ball, you got to wrap them up, wrap them up. You did your job. Um. Last thing I wanted to mention about this personnel stuff here, uh, Mac Wilson struggles. To me, I would like to see Jacob Phillips on the field more. He's mm-hmm. faster. Uh, you saw him get in the game and make a play immediately against the Ravens. His sideline to sideline speed and his ability to tackle to me, makes a lot more sense than Mac does at this point. I just kind of question why he didn't see more snaps. That's, uh, man, there's a there's so many things that could go into that. I don't know if they're just not confident in him, uh, if they're trying not to rattle Mac Wilson's cage. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really not sure why they don't do it either. 
Uh, so I would certainly question that as well. I, I'd like to see him. I'd like to see what he has, and especially with the way Mac is playing, then, uh, you know, it seems like a no-brainer. It really does. Yeah. But, uh, man, it's beyond me. I'm not sure what their reasoning is by not utilizing him. To me, it seems like okay. a no-brainer, and I, I, it sounds like you're on the same page. Yeah, I, I really kind of have felt like of all the young linebackers that we have, I feel like he has the highest upside of any of them. And, you know, I just kind of wanted to – I want to see him, you know, get his opportunity, especially with Mac Wilson, you know, falling over in the hole on the – you know, one of the biggest plays of the game. Right. And doing stuff – and taking bad angles and missing tackles, et cetera, on and on. But you you know where I'm going with that. Uh, I feel like – he, he needs that opportunity, um, and I would like to see him get it here down the stretch some more. All right. It, it, you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland, uh, the podcast and the simulcast here tonight. Special guest Craig Fountain uh, of uh, Ginger's Talk Football Podcast and the Browns Table. We're talking a little game react from the, uh, the legendary instant classic uh, against the Ravens, and uh, so we're going to keep uh, talking about that here for a couple more minutes. i got some other stuff to get to. Craig uh, is a uh, uh, a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you uh, for coming on the show and spending the time doing this with us tonight. All right. Is it fair to blame G- uh, Joe Woods for some of this, considering what he's working with our players that probably won't be here in 21? You know, it's... It's a tough one, and I'm kind of undecided on this. Ultimately, when you're the defensive coordinator, you have to take ownership of your responsibilities, and your responsibility is to take what you're given and and get them productive. You need a game plan. You need production. You need to motivate them. That's your responsibility, and you have to take ownership of that. And if you're a good leader, if you don't get the job done, you're the one at fault. And, and that's something that's evident if you listen to Stefanski's press conferences. He's always the first one to say, that's not Baker's fault, that's my fault. That's not Joe's fault, that's my fault. Uh, that's a leadership quality I'm hoping Joe has. Now, with that being said, we put a lot of focus, time, and energy on the offense. And it's evident that they knew that they were – piecing together a defense where there was going to be a lot of evaluation going on. There is so many one-year deals and, you know, there's a lot of guys that are going to be free agents at the end of the year. And, and they just would not commit to anybody really long-term. So I, I think that they have a, a couple core guys, you know, you have Denzel Ward, you have Richardson, you have, uh, uh, you, you know, Taki Taki, I think, is probably in their plans at, at least. Miles. Miles. That was the one I was struggling to get off my <laughs> the tip of my tongue. <laughs> you know, you have the obvious guys that are in their plans and certainly Delpit moving forward. But yes. these other guys, Larry Ogunjobi, you know, they're going to have to, they're going to be at a crossroads. And, and he's been productive. I love Larry Ogunjobi, but can you afford him? Is he a piece of yep. the puzzle? You know, and then you have a litany of other guys that are just on one-year deals. It's evaluation time, so we'll see. We'll see if they feel like these guys have bought in and all this other stuff, and they're putting the work in, the work ethic, the character, all these, all the things that they look at outside of production. 
because we can see what the production is and most of it's developmental. I think we can all agree that most of the production is developmental quality football. Uh, but, uh, you know, I don't know that you can fully blame blame him for that considering the hand he's been dealt. On the other hand, he has to take ownership of it. It's it's his job. It's 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 interesting because okay, so like at times he's done a good job schematically like in preparation. So like early in the game the other night, right? There there's a book out on Lamar, right? And mm-hmm. it's like force everything to the sidelines and and he came out and did that. You know, they were dropping. They went small, a lot of defensive backs on the field, dropping people into the middle of the field. And they showed it, you know, even on, on the ESPN coverage that they were doing well with that. They were dropping. They were covering. They were forcing him to have to scramble. Eventually, that would be their downfall because – He's just a freak, right? Like right. Lamar Jackson is just unbelievable. Uh, once, but so he had the right idea there. Um, he's since they came off the bye week, their defense has been much better. Without, you know, take out the second half against Tennessee, right? Mm-hmm. Beyond, besides that, their their defense had been getting much better. Before the bye week, they couldn't get off the field on third down for anything. Right, like it, it was, it was terrible, right? Um, but they've been able to get off the field on third down. They get pressure on the quarterback. Their front four is pretty good, uh, you know. To a certain extent, they're good at getting pressure on the quarterback. Not, not as good against the run, right? Um, Miles is a little undisciplined with. You know, his up-the-field stuff, like they knew against Lamar, you can't rush up the field like that. You're going to create running lanes like you normally would, and they, he still got upfield a lot. Uh, and, they, and it did create running lanes, and it created problems. Uh, he he didn't have a very good game, Miles didn't, against Baltimore. No. I, 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 you know, of that. all the games he's had, he showed up, had big moments, this and that. He, he just didn't have any of those moments really in that game. Uh, that they desperately needed, you know what I mean? Um, and uh, certainly his impact on the game goes beyond just what we see on the tape, right? You know, certainly defenses change what they're doing, or offenses change what they're doing because of him. Um, I think other teams are starting to figure out that they're not going to get called for holding him either. <laughs> I agree. And they ran right at him. So, right. and that's a strategy a lot of offensives take, right? Like your best pass rusher or your best defensive player, you run directly at because, you know, that takes, oftentimes will take them out of the play. You know, it takes them their ability to, to move laterally and make plays out of the game. So they did a lot of that and uh, it, it worked for them. Um, I thought his approach was correct, though, and really he just got beat by Lamar. Uh, you know, they got some stops when they needed to. Lamar left the game. I thought, here's here's some guys I thought that played well, okay? 
Uh, I thought Carl Joseph has played well in two games in a row. Now, I, I, thought, I think he's played really well when he's been in there. Uh, I, I like to see him on the field. Sheldon Richardson has been absolutely huge in both games. Uh, I don't think you can even equate how big he has been in both games, you know. Uh, Taki Taki is, seems to be trending upwards uh, now. Uh, as he came in with uh, the highest PFF grade on defense at 78.6. Obviously, um, on that same tweet, Wyatt Teller was in there with a 76.9. That's on offense, but uh, as the two highest uh, PFF grades. But Taki Taki, Richardson, Joseph, I thought all played well. Thoughts on that? Yeah, I would agree with that. And and really, another guy that I think... He's been kind of up and down for us as Olivier Vernon. Uh, yes. I, I've, I've seen some. I've seen the glimpses of what we all imagined he could be here, and it's it's kind of encouraging. It'll be interesting to see how that shakes out in the front office. Uh, it, there's always a ton of talk surrounding him, but uh, I'm really interested to see how how he handles the Giants coming up. I mean this is this is a game a big game for him i'm sure and and he's been playing yeah. hard and i'm starting to think that you know maybe what we saw out of him last year was more injury related than than skill skill related so it's uh it, it's it, he's he's a guy that i he's a guy that i i've really liked the past few weeks also so i feel he i has, feel like Vernon needs some credit yeah yeah he has provided uh some pressure and they asked him to do something different in that Titans game. You know, they came out with that five-man mm-hmm. front and kind of asked him to play a little bit stand-up linebacker almost right? Uh, and come off the edge there, and he did a really good job with it. He handled it well. It, it was very frustrating that he got in the way of that play. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he ran into uh, <clears throat> Money Mitch, uh, and it, it was costly there. Uh, I, I I get they were they probably had I think they the idea there was like okay Lamar's coming back in the game it's fourth and four let's like have every linebacker spy him spread out we're not gonna let him get these four yards and in the process of doing that you just put somebody he just backed right into him right, right. I mean yeah it was almost silliness. There was there was uh, some guys down on the other side of the field, if I remember correctly, too. Both sides of the field, you had guys falling down, running into each other. Yes. Uh, so I think either way, somebody would have been open. But yes, it's uh, it, they might have made the right call on that play. It just didn't execute the way that they thought it thought it would. And that's really a tough that's a tough scenario to coach because when it's fourth and four. You that's that could be either a running down or a passing down. You have to really get into tendency, and and th- that's where the preparation really comes in. And, and then you, you got to be ready, and everything's got to go right, and it didn't there. Uh, I got to mention this to you. Were you as appalled by the ESPN announcing crew as I was? So, I man, <laughs> if it wasn't one of the best teams of the year, I would have turned it off. And, and I said – Something to my wife and, and and my son and my wife and I we were all joking about it and, and I, I'm sure I aired my thoughts on Twitter, but uh, I, I feel like ESPN in particular and I don't know what it is they they've got some sort of 
they've got something against Cleveland. You know, they, they do. We're just not likable to them. And uh, it was really the first the first thing that really kind kind of gave me a bad taste was they're like, hey, listen, we got Miles Garrett, Garrett, Walter Payton, Man of the Year nominee. He just got his trophy. Uh, really impressive for a guy that smacked a guy over the head with a helmet last year. You know. Yep. And then you're moving on, and they keep giving these backhanded compliments and then throwing something negative in there along with it. And finally you get the cream hunt and they're like, man, yeah, what, what a nice run by cream hunt. What a career this guy is having. It's a good thing that he got his job back after he, he kicked a woman, you know, it's like, after he kicked her in the head, they, they right. didn't even hold back. Like no. they, that was, that was uh classless and unneeded. Right. And, and I mean, they went there with Garrett. They went, that's what I wrote the same thing. They went there with Hunt. They went there with something else, too. I wrote after that. Oh, they had the uh, the jersey with the crossed off names. They used that as a little segment. Like, right. come on, man. That That's the stuff we're trying to move on from. That's the old Cleveland bullshit that we're trying to move on from. Right, it, and and you guys are the ones that drudge it up uh, on national TV. You got this game of the year going on in front of you, and and yet, like, they went down to I think it was Lisa Salters who did the thing on Kareem, right? Mm-hmm. But he was like he she went into such detail, not like the incident that occurred, whatever. It was like yeah, Kareem Hunt, this that the other thing where he kicked a woman in the head. It, you know, I was like, are you kidding me? It, it was unnecessary it, it and it was. wasn't relevant. And, and I get it's a talking point, but at some point these talking points, uh, there's there's plenty to talk about. These need to die. The NFL wants to move on from it, I'm sure. You know, that's not a good look for the NFL. Every time it's brought up, that's an issue for the NFL. Uh, it's not good for the Cleveland, the city of Cleveland, the fan base, all that kind of stuff. And it's really something that's out of everybody's control except for ESPN. And I really think that – that's something that they should uh, is uh, is lo- it's low hanging fruit is what it is. It's low hanging. Yes. Fruit. So uh, if they if they maybe prepared a little bit better for the games, maybe they could find something more interesting to talk about, something more appropriate. Uh, but one of the things, and I hope you don't mind if I bring this up, one of Certainly. the things that I was impressed with in this game was the Browns holding their emotions in check because there was some there was some uh not so good stuff going down on the field and yeah some chicanery yeah and uh the browns did a really good job keeping their emotions in check uh i don't i don't know if peters meant to spit on jarvis you know he he did yeah Uh, he did you know and and you got guys like dobbins coming out today and talking about you know sandeo better you know, where's big boy britches the next time? Cause I'm coming hard every time. Uh, you know, nobody should celebrate the injury of a player, especially if, if you were part of the collision. And I think it just shows a lot of growth from our side that when we win, even when we win, our players aren't going out there and saying those sorts of things that are just really not, it's really not a good look. And, and you start losing respect for them. And Dobbins got a lot of Cleveland fans that really like him. They're, you know, man, I wish he wasn't on Baltimore because I'm an Ohio State fan and this and that and the other. And he probably lost a lot of guys, and for good reason. Yeah, that's – I hate that crap. Uh, I I hate the Ravens. I really do. I dislike 
Uh, I just dislike them as, you know, the only thing I like about their team, and it's strange because you think it would be like his influence would change them. I like Harbaugh, that Harbaugh brother. I don't like the other one. I like him and a lot. I think he's a really good coach. I think he seems like a class act. But his players behave in the opposite manner, which makes you wonder really what's going on there, right? It it does. And from a leadership perspective, you'd assume Harbaugh would have his guys reined in, unless we're getting unless we're getting a mirage of an image of what Harbaugh is. And, and I I can't see that being the case. You would think that there would be a little bit more accountability in the locker room, and that's something I would expect more from like Pittsburgh and, and maybe the the Pittsburgh Tomlin dynamic or something like that. But yeah, it, it, it just goes to show you, I mean, you got, you got 53 guys on a team. You're going to have a couple bad apples, but uh, it's really inexcusable. And the, and those things need addressed and, and uh, Ravens fans probably embellish in it and, and, and don't mind it. But uh, I am proud of our guys for not going out and saying, for lack of a better way of putting it, stupid things like that, you know? So, uh, you know, we'll stay classy. Uh, yeah, you know what? That's part of that culture change, right? In the past, it wouldn't have been that way. In the past, it would have gotten ugly. But that's part of that culture change. Andrew Barry uh, to Kevin Stefanski, um, you know, not spouting off at, at, you know, at the mouth uh, during the week before games, not giving teams, uh, you know, bulletin board material post game not overreacting to things like that and then on the field no 15 yard penalties no this that the other nonsense where it very easily could have escalated to that number of times on the field uh so you know you got to think that that is part of that culture swing right um so good stuff and and well very well said there craig all right so true or false for you here uh, you would rather have uh, Hollywood Higgins or Hollywood Brown? Hollywood Higgins. Hollywood Higgins. <laughs> and I've, been, I've been campaigning this for months. Hollywood Higgins is the real Hollywood until proven otherwise. And, and, yeah. and Baltimore may have won, but Higgins had the better game. So uh, I, I, I'm, if, I, if I had to roll out the red carpet for one of them, I'm taking Higgins. I love Rashard Higgins. Me too. A big fan. And uh, you know what? I, I won't even call Marquise Hollywood anymore. I only used it for this purpose because of the true and false to Hollywood versus Hollywood. <laughs> I'll just call him Marquise because there's only one real Hollywood one in the Hollywood. AFC North, and it's not in Baltimore. So uh, that that's as far as I feel on that one. Uh, Lamar's cramps, very strange situation. He's gone for a long time. It starts with the cramps. He says it started with a cramp in his arm, okay? So he says that he missed the throw, whatever, to seed, and and that his arm started cramping up. Okay. All right. It's like 30 degrees outside, first of all. Note one. Uh, Note two... I, I don't think I've ever heard of someone saying that their arm cramped. I you know legs. I get it right. Right. Uh, shoulders maybe, but his arm started cramping up like he threw it five times the whole game. What's he talking about? And then 
So then he goes off the field, I guess, and into the locker room in the second half at some point because I guess his lower half started to cramp too. Uh, that's the way the story goes. He was gone a long time for cramps. Very long time. A very long Thought, time. Thoughts on this situation? I mean, uh, I'm not like a lot of people out there are, you know, think this is really funny. Like, oh, he was taking a crap or this or that and the other. And I don't even want to go there. I don't even, no. like, I don't think he necessarily had, like, a bad stomach or whatever the situation was. I just don't know if it was cramps. Like, I don't. I don't know if we're ever going to know. I don't think we're ever going to know either. No, like, it, it's just a very strange situation. Why so long? And then here's the ultimate question that really doesn't make any sense to me. He said he was coming back anyways. If McSorley doesn't, you know, get hurt, does he come back in the game? Man, see, here's... I'm laughing I was under the impression... I'm laughing myself because I know the narrative that everybody wants to be pushed. We, we've all been online. We, we know. Yeah, people yeah, people yeah, yeah. I don't think that causes you to go back to the locker room for that long. I don't think it does. Uh, not, not as long as he was back there. Uh, right. If he was cramping, might have been IVs. I'm not, a, I'm not a medical professional, but electrolytes. Well, yeah, water. he's got the tape on the arm, right? So they point to that. As, so, the, as the cramps. I don't know if we're ever going to know, but at the same time, you got to think if he was going to go out there anyway, why wouldn't they have had him on the field to begin with? Right. Why, why is McSorley on the field getting hurt at that point? They, they're, in, they're, in a, they're in a shootout in one of the biggest games in NFL history, a meaningful game in December with playoff implications. A must win for them. must win for them. And McSorley's on the field. So it I know everybody wants to push the narrative that everybody wants to laugh at, but I, I just I don't see that being the reason why he's not on the field. With that being said, I don't know about cramps either. I'm not I'm not knowledgeable enough about the medical stuff to to really speculate on that. But the, from what you're saying, it does sound a little fishy. I don't think we'll ever know what it was. So Yeah. And I don't really care. So here's yeah. my main question though, right? Though season's on the line. Yeah. McSorley's in the game. Momentum is clearly going towards the Browns, right? He right. gets hurt, and then he comes out of the tunnel. It was clearly one and then two. But he then, post-game, he wants to say he was coming back no matter what. If he gets up from that play unhurt, they go to huddle and go for it on fourth and whatever. He's not out on the field on time, is he? Right. I don't think so. And and really I'd be interested in and I wasn't paying attention when I was watching, but I would be interesting to see at which point he got up and got out of the locker room and when the camera started catching him. And I'd like to see that in unison with the footage of them playing on the field. Because I think that that, that timing would probably give us the indication that we're looking for. Did he get up before McSorley got hurt? Did he get up after I McSorley got hurt? You know. I, I think really it was pretty it. clear that it was after McSorley got hurt, yeah. he came out of the locker room. Because, I mean, it was like, boom, McSorley's down, McSorley's down. And then kind of like, okay, what are they going to do? And then real quickly then it was like, oh, here comes Lamar. Like, so I don't know. I don't know. 
That was it was Yo, a weird situation. That was a weird. I don't think he was coming back. I think I don't think he was coming back unless he got hurt. And to me, that's just really mystifying, especially considering how much was at stake. Right. I and and hindsight's twenty twenty, but you have to wonder if McSorley does stay on the field. Do do we stop him either? I mean, at that point, we were trying to play you know, with some flexibility, but we weren't, we weren't playing overly aggressive. Nobody wants to pull the Greg, Greg Williams, right. At the end of the game like that and get burned. And nobody wants to play it too safe and allow them to get into the range that they got into. But, uh, you know, I don't know that we would have been able to stop McSorley either at at that point. I wasn't real confident. Hmm. Cause that, cause yeah, cause they score and then we go score, and then they go for the field goal. So, I I don't know that that one was uh, that one kind of blew my mind a little bit. Like, am I getting my if, drive mixed up here? Yeah. So it wasn't the final drive, right? It was the drive. Remember, he hits he hits Marquise Brown on the, the right, deep ball. Right. I got my drive mixed up <laughs> on fourth and four, and then. On the on the very play he comes in, he hits Marquise Brown, and then Baker takes him down the field in less than a minute, two yeah. throws in a row to Kareem Hunt. Basically, Marlon Humphreys gives up on the second play. He didn't even try to make it attack. Like I have to almost feel like they were like, let him go in. Let's just right. get the ball back to Lamar, you know? Like, yeah. And, no, uh, I, I understand, and I apologize for getting the drives mixed up, but yeah. No. Maybe if mix, if that was the the drive in the in the script right there, then maybe we could have stopped him if McSorley had stayed in. But uh, you know, it depends on. You don't think he would have come back in? What's he? He's waiting for fourth down. I agree with you. I agree with you. I agree he's with waiting I for know. fourth and four to make his his appearance. Right. What, what if the throw? Ball. What if the throw on the series before? That Willie Sneed miraculously brings down to give them a first down. What if that doesn't get completed? Does he come running out on that fourth down? Hmm. I don't think we'll so. Never, we'll never know. We'll never right. know what happened. So uh, he's waiting for. Just, oh, he's only going to come in on fourth down. I, I'm sorry, I'm not buying that. And then, so if that doesn't happen and they kick the ball away and then we run out the clock, he never comes back into the game. Right. So. He was only going to come in on fourth down or if McSorley got hurt. Sorry, that makes zero sense to me. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. <laughs> it's, uh, it's quite the uh, fiasco, and uh, it just it just led to more madness uh, of the game. Um, and, uh, yeah, so... All right, let's. Uh, you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Special guest Craig Fountain joins us tonight. We're doing a great job uh, as we just kind of went through the uh, the game of the year, as many are calling it. Let's hope it's not the game of the year. I expect better down the stretch, right? right. For sure, absolutely. For, uh, c- certainly, we look at it differently. Like I didn't. I got to be honest, I didn't think of it like that until I heard people talking about it after the game. Did you? It, as far as being one of the classic games in NFL history, no. I was too in the game to really think about it. Exactly. Uh, I was too. I, I felt like um, I was crushed 
it ripped my soul out when Tucker hit that field goal. But then I was like, okay, this is different now, right? This isn't last year or the year before. And I even tweeted that out. I was like, this is different people that look at the bigger picture. Keep your head up, you know, like this, this is different. It's time for it's time for us to fan different now too, right? It's time. Yeah. Like I feel like when a team legitimizes itself, and I'm going to talk more about this later on in the show after, when you're gone, but just for a moment. But I feel like when a team legitimizes itself like this and we're, we're at where we're at now, it's part of the responsibility of the people that cover the team to cover the team differently, A, and then it's also part of the job of the fans to fan differently. Like, there's no more joking about this and that nonsense and it's the team's not a joke anymore don't treat it like it is yeah and uh you know i'm curious to get your your opinion on something and i hope i'm not messing with your uh your no no uh, feel free we haven't haven't talked about the guy that pretty much everybody is blaming for the loss cody parkey um yeah what do you think of those missed opportunities dude should we be blaming Uh. him well, yeah, I mean, he should. He's a kicker, right? He's a freaking kicker. So, I can only blame a kicker so much, right? Like, I, I get it. There are points left out on the field. The thing that worries me is he has a history of this, right? Like he was on. Um, he he butchered Chicago fans forever, right? Like right. Bears fans. They had, a, they had a really big one, right? Yeah, he was on, uh, you know, uh, Good Morning America and everything after he missed that one. And so he has a history of this. Um, But up to this point, he's been pretty good this year. And it's not like, I don't know what, he missed one field goal? He missed one field goal and one extra point? I mean, it's... It's been we've seen we've had worse. We may have lost Craig for a moment. See if we can get him back here. Mikey, go ahead and get that line out of there. Oh, oh, oh. Spinning. But uh yeah, we we're, we're talking Cody Parkey as we'll try to get Craig back on the line here, but yeah, to I mean he he has a history of this. Uh, he left four points on the field. The Browns would have lost by three uh, if if that wouldn't have uh, occurred. Uh, so um, if they would, you know, if Tucker doesn't come down and hit the final field goal, so they would have had to get in the end zone. Now, at the same time, though, the blocked kick changed it back to a 14-point game, and then we go for two there. So if he doesn't miss the first one and you block their kick, you're already looking at being up 15 if you score. So maybe you don't add that extra point on. So I, I think one of those points doesn't matter if my math is is 
that sounds really weird, but they went for two once because they, I guess it wasn't because they missed it, because they were only on 14, and I didn't understand why they were doing it, but uh, I'll get Craig's uh, thought on this as he's back with us. There you are. How are we doing, sir? Good. What'd I miss? Well, I'm, t- I'm, I'm ranting about math in my own head here, and, uh, and uh, I may be wrong, but... So follow me on this one. We were talking about Cody Parkey, right? Mm-hmm. And I, we were saying I, he left four points on the field, correct? Yeah. Okay. So he missed the first. He missed an early extra point, but then they blocked a kick. So at the point that they went for two, which I thought was really strange, was, I thought they like forgot that they blocked the kick and they thought they were still down by fifteen or something. Because I didn't understand why they were going for two and they were only down 14. Okay. But I guess analytics tell them to go at that point or right. whatever. I, I, I don't know. But to me, that doesn't make any sense. But they'll have, you'll have to, somebody will have to explain that to me another time. But either way, so they get an extra point there because of the tip and, and, and D, uh, DPJ catches it off of, and they get the two-point conversion there. Now, <clears throat> if he doesn't miss the field goal and they're already up 14, don't they just kick the extra point there to go up 15? Yeah. So I don't think that point matters. That one doesn't matter, no. And so so at this point with, with the field goal and extra point, you're tied. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah like if it doesn't matter. Game. Yeah, you got the extra po- you got the point back anyways when you didn't really need it. So right. Uh, so you're still tied at the end of the game, and but the difference is you you would be up three, and Tucker would have tied the game with the field goal hypothetically. Now the game may play out differently because of that three points throughout the game. Uh, but I I don't. It's hard to. I don't think you fire him. No, no. I, I think you bring him back this week. Because, I mean, he missed one kick. And so did Justin Tucker, who's, who's the most accurate kicker in NFL history. So, right. uh, you right. know, and kickers are going to miss. There's no 100% kickers out of there. It's unfortunate it was in this situation. And I understand the frustration some fans might have of, have of you know, for him. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, these, these guys are professionals. Nobody's trying to go out there and not make kicks. So, uh, I think criticism's okay. I, I've seen a little too much online of some of the personal attacks and some of the some of the uh, more passionate, I guess you could say, uh, responses to that situation. So it's going to happen with kickers. Yeah. They, they they are. Uh, it's a thankless job. It is uh, really, and so, but I don't blame. I guess I don't blame him for the game. I, I just I, – the Browns just couldn't get a stop. They couldn't stop us. It was going to be whoever had the ball last. I agree with – I would agree with that completely, and I think it's more on the defense than Parkey, so. Yeah, yeah. So, Browns uh, don't have time to waste. Is they going to turn around here and go to uh, – the Meadowlands, back-to-back weeks, but they start here on Sunday night football at a nice little flex uh, to face the Giants. Now, the Giants, 
Uh, it does not look like Daniel Jones. Well, I don't think he's going to play. I don't, th- uh, I don't think he will either. There, it's not decided, but it looks like it could be Colt McCoy at quarterback, Freddie Kitchens on the sidelines, Julia, uh, uh, Jabril. Jabril Peppers in the secondary, and Zeitler on their offensive line to face yeah. the Rams this week on Sunday night. Yeah, fortunately, uh, uh, fortunately. You know, <laughs> I I I think that I think we're in the better spot. You know, I, I I don't think that you know a lot of people are saying they won that trade and stuff like that. But these were all guys that played for us when we couldn't win football games. So I'd rather, uh, as much as I love Colt McCoy in particular, as much as uh, you know, I thought Jabril Pepper, Peppers played hard, as good as Zeitler is. You know, they're not part of our winning formula. They just aren't. No. So it's uh. You know, we'll be rooting against him. Uh, Colt McCoy, I'm going to take the hardest because I was a <laughs> a big fan of Colt McCoy before. I thought he was our guy before James Harrison threw some uh, dirty plays out there at him. But, uh, yeah, he's still around. He's still kicking. Yeah, he is. He actually played pretty well the other day. So, um, all right. So, it goes Kansas City at 12-1. and Pittsburgh has lost two in a row, but they get the Bengals on Monday night. Buffalo Bills look like maybe one of the best teams in the NFL right now, uh, and by my opinion. Thoughts on those top three teams? Anything stand out there for you? What do you think of the Bills right now? They're the scariest team of the three, I think. Uh, You know, we can get into a shootout with Kansas City, similar to the way we do with Baltimore. Um, I don't think you have to run about worry about their run game as much as we did with Lamar. So, so I think that, that calling the plays on defenses and getting the guys lined up correctly said, uh, you know, I think that that's something that could benefit us, but the Buffalo, the way Buffalo is playing scares me far more than Kansas city or Pittsburgh. So Hmm. interesting. Yeah. I think that, you know, if I was making a power rankings, can you hear that? Yes. No. I hear oh, you click, okay. and that's it. Okay. All right. All right. Well, somebody one of those ads in the background <laughs> started uh, talking to me uh, about dry skin. So, <laughs> um, anyways, uh, all right. So the uh, the Colts are nine and four. The Titans are nine and four. Um, they don't play each other again, which is unfortunate, but. So the Titans go Lions, Packers, Texans. The Colts go Texans, Steelers, Jags. In a perfect world, the Packers beat the Titans and the Colts lose to the Steelers. Is that the perfect world, though? I mean... Well, here's my thing. I think the Browns need 11 wins to get in. Right. So I think they have to win this week and they have to beat the Jets because I don't want to go into Week 17 having to beat the Steelers to get in the playoffs. Do you? No. No, I think I think a lot of what you're saying hinges on what happens between Pittsburgh and Cincinnati this week, though. If Pittsburgh loses a game to Cincinnati, I'm going to start calling for the let's win the division type Correct. Type yeah. narrative. Because if I they drop a game to Cincinnati, then there's no reason they won't drop one to Indianapolis. Right. And, yeah. 
And even if, and in a perfect world, right, so if we go into that final week at 11 and 4, and they lose to the Colts, they're 12 and 3. I think even if we beat them, we still lose the tiebreaker because we lost twice to Baltimore. So I think that 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 doesn't really give us a chance. Even even if you beat them week 17 and you end up with the same record as them, I think the only way that door opens is if somebody else upsets them, which would have to be the Bengals on Monday night, which is kind of a long shot. So if we win out, including the last game of the season against the Steelers, and the Steelers drop one to Cincinnati and then Indianapolis and then us, we would win the division there. If Cincinnati beats or if since if the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Cincinnati Bengals, which is likely, there's no chance the Browns can cl- can win the division. At that point, we're rooting for Pittsburgh to beat Indianapolis because that has playoff implications in the wild card spot. Correct. So, so I think that everything, as far as who we're supposed to be rooting for, I think everything hinges on that Cincinnati Pittsburgh game because, you know. Man, if they if 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 the Steelers lose to the Bengals, I'm I'm more and more confident that the Colts are going to beat them and we're going to beat them, and that's the perfect scenario. Now, of course, you got to you got to take care of business against the Giants and the Jets, but I don't I don't know that that's the most realistic scenario though. So, so I think that what you're what you're talking about is more like what we're going to see realistically. Yeah, and then you got the Dolphins at eight and five. They go Patriots at Raiders at Bills. The question there is: Are the Bills going to be playing for anything that week? I think. We oh lost. man. Uh, if are the Bills going to be playing for anything that be that week? You know. Some of that also hinges on on can they get home field advantage by winning? Um, you know what I'm saying? If 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 I think they'll have, I don't think they, I don't think they're in any risk of losing home field advantage. So I I don't are they? I mean, I if they so. the Bills go Broncos at Patriots versus Dolphins, I don't see them losing any of those. Do you? Right. So if they win out, they are a three seed. Three two seed. Th- what's their, what's their final two. record there? If they uh, win out, thirteen and three. Thirteen and three. So uh, I think I think you'll see the Bills more like a two seed. You know, I, I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, Pittsburgh. and they're not going to catch KC, right? So the question is, do they play starters in that game? Is my concern. I I think with I think they would. Um, hmm. You know, there that's not that's not a team with a ton of playoff experience. And not all, not a lot of the players have playoff experience. I don't think you. I, I think you try to keep them hot. I think you play conservative. I think you maybe don't run a bunch of plays to put guys in positions to get hurt. You know, uh, I think you can afford not to send somebody that you know is going to get hit. You know, across the middle of the field, things like that. But um, 
I don't think you bench everybody, or maybe you get a little bit of a lead and go up and pull the guys for the second half. So hmm. I think it's a lot of things to... are trending away from that philosophy. Okay. Something to think about. All right, now, Baltimore, though, because of this game, right, um, is going to probably end up at 11-5. and mm-hmm. And in the playoffs because they get the tiebreaker over us so they're going to be in and if they win their last three they're in i'm pretty sure right yes uh if we win our our two of our last three we should get in because we own the tiebreaker over the colts or Tennessee. The Titans, man, they both. They, I, I can't imagine both of them winning out. This is it's a tough st- year for these scenarios. Normally, we have a lot more clarity at this point. I it think it still puts us in as long as the Dolphins don't find a way to win out. So, the only way that we're out. In my, the way that I see it, is if, you know, if we take care of business in New York, okay, mm-hmm. and, and finish 11 and 5, let's just say. Not saying that we can't beat the Steelers, I'm just saying two out of the last three we get. We should be in unless the Dolphins run the table. Patriots, Raiders, Bills. I don't think they do. No, and, and I think that I think that you know both us and Buffalo are kind of leaning on each other a little bit here. Yeah, yeah. With Pittsburgh last last week, that game could get flexed, uh, depending on where the Pittsburgh and how you, the scenario that you laid out. If, if they were to lose to Cincinnati, that game could get flexed to uh, um, primetime in, in Week 17 as well. It would be crazy uh, for them not to. Yeah, except I have a – I did some math earlier because I have to go on a show here in a little bit and talk about the NFC playoff stuff. Mm-hmm. And it looks like, to me, the way my math figures wash – if – that if the Eagles can beat the Cardinals this weekend, then they will probably be facing Washington in Week 17. Winner gets in. Yeah, I mean that's that's certainly an attractive game, also. Yeah. The so game. there, the, yeah. So there's your your scenarios. Um. Any thoughts on that? Anything that really concerns you there? Are you worried about this Giants game, a a little bit of a hangover or anything here? No. No, I don't think I'm worried. And and I think that they caught Seattle sleeping a little bit a few weeks ago. Uh, But, uh, you know, it it doesn't really matter who plays to meet Daniel Jones or Colt McCoy. Uh, I think that our defense is certainly capable of, of handling either of them. Uh, you got to wonder if if we're going to be able to, you know, one of the keys is going to be to keep Gallman 
kind of contained. Uh, don't forget they have Dion Lewis. There's another guy that wants redemption. Uh, he got the goal line carry last week, but uh, I'm really just, I'm really not that worried. And we're at that point as Browns fans where we don't have to be that worried about these games. And I think that Stefanski has shown us that he's going to have these guys prepared, and that includes not overlooking guys, overlooking teams. So um, if Arizona can handle them, I'm confident we can handle them. And uh, I think that it, it wasn't – I don't think it was an embarrassing loss, but I think they're, they're, they want some primetime rede- redemption as well. So I'm not worried. Yeah. Okay. Good. That makes me feel better. I'm glad you're not worried. So, <laughs> Are you worried? Uh, I, I'm not, like, worried, but – it just it's just uneasy until it's for sure, you know. It, right. it just you just want to see it. No, I I think Stefanski will have him ready to play, and I think if you get this, this is the one you got to get right here. Um, it's a big game. It's a big game for both teams, right. no question about it. And and just like last week, Giants will be playing with a lot of desperation. Um, so as should the Browns too. These are these are serious uh, serious implications on the line here in these games, and and hey, that feels good to just to be in them. But we, I want to see what we can do in the playoffs. I feel like we're getting hot at the right time. Absolutely, momentum's huge this time of year. Yeah, absolutely. Craig, you've done an outstanding job tonight. I hope that we can have you back again. Absolutely, uh, for sure. Or, or maybe I can come on the uh, Ginger Talk football podcast. I, I would love to do that. We have um, uh, we have daywalkers on from time to time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's what uh, we call the non-gingers is daywalkers. Daywalkers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, we're going to send you an all Eyes on Cleveland t-shirt. Okay. Appreciate it. So I'm going to get your size and your everything uh, off the air, and we're going to send you that. And and you can take a nice picture of that and post it on Twitter for everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, I got a number of pictures of people. Wait, do I have it available here? I don't think I do. Oh, I don't have it. I thought I had it uh, up here and ready to show, but I don't. Uh, one with uh, Eric Metcalf wearing one. And, oh, nice. Uh, Ken Carmen and a <laughs> uh, bunch of people wearing them. and. Uh, Jason from a bunch of other podcasts here in Cleveland. So, but uh, good on you. We'll get your size and your address. We'll send that out to you. Uh, but thank you so much for coming on. I enjoyed our talk. Absolutely huge week here uh, as we go in Sunday night football. It'll be a blast. Um, and uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm grateful for you to to have me on. I appreciate it. All right, had a blast, buddy. We'll talk soon. Okay. All right, sounds good. Thank you. All right.
That was an hour and a half. Holy cow, time flies when you're having fun. An hour and a half with uh, Craig Fountain. Follow him uh, on Twitter. Uh, go to uh, the Browns Table, at the Browns Table on Twitter. Check that out. That's going to be a cool venture that he's getting off the ground, as well as listen to his podcast, Ginger uh, Talk Football Podcast. Craig, a great uh, guest tonight uh, to talk about that game. Very knowledgeable. Glad we that we got him on. Awesome stuff there. All right. So, listen. Uh, let's go through this real quick, and then we'll get you out of here. Thank you for joining us again at All Eyes on Cleveland. If you're watching on the playback, make sure you hit subscribe down below and uh, hit the like button for us uh, and uh, keep coming back. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, it's available where all popular podcasts are found. So Denzel Ward is progressing, according to uh, Coach uh, Stefanski. Kaderil Hodge is in the same boat, so we're hoping to see him this weekend. Uh, I don't know, you know, really, he doesn't really give you a good feel on that, which is a good thing. A coach really isn't supposed to do that. So it's kind of nice to have, uh, you know, uh, an adult up there do, handling things uh, for once as opposed to the past few years where we had stooges like, uh, you know, uh, Hugh and uh, Freddie. Um, Garrett has an elbow. He should be fine. Jed Wills got cleated in his ankle. He should be fine. Wyatt Teller has calf issues. Uh, he'll continue to get treatment. I would imagine that he will play. He's a tough, tough son bitch. And then... Uh, Stefanski uh, would not rule out a return from Greedy Williams, which I'll go ahead and tell you that uh, I'll rule it out for you. What the hell? Uh, he's not going to play. <laughs> I don't. I cannot imagine that out of nowhere Greedy Williams becomes available and starts playing uh, th- now. So uh, he doesn't rule that out, but I would be absolutely shocked uh, if he uh, did not uh, showed up and played on Sunday. Just absolutely floored. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and go out on a limb and say that that probably is not going to happen while I'm trying to find my notes for this segment. Here we go. We're, we're, we're in action here. All right. Uh, so once again, thanks to, uh, Craig and you're listening to all eyes on Cleveland real quickly before I get you out of here. And I tweeted about this after the game and I just want to say it, if you're watching this on the replay on back and this isn't intended towards anybody individually, but me and Craig talked about it at the beginning of the interview, as far as like the Baker haters and the old Cleveland versus new Cleveland stuff, it's time to start acting appropriately. If you cover the team, you should cover the team appropriately. This isn't a joke anymore. You should you should treat it differently. There's not there's not the same old bullshit jokes that ESPN was throwing out there and disrespecting kind of the way that Cleveland uh, has has been in the past. This is different now. It's different. I said after we lost that game, it's different. It's about the bigger picture. This isn't about this loss. It's about what this team is can accomplish moving forward. Keep your head up. It's time for fans to fan differently. It's time for you to approach this team differently. You're in a position to go in the playoffs and win games. And the arrow is totally pointed up 
from here into next year and beyond there. Kevin Stefanski has brought that to the Browns. Andrew Barry has brought that to the Browns. There are, it's not a joke. It's not a laughing stock. So the people that do think that it's funny to, to joke about the Browns sucking and to immediately go after Baker Mayfield when he throws an interception and, and try to, you know, just bring down the whole thing, it's time to leave them behind, okay? Let's let's be better fans. Let's cover the team better. Let's just be better in general because the team is better in general. It's time to leave those people behind. Don't give them the time of day on Twitter. They can all go down there together and talk about how bad they think Baker Mayfield is while he's headed into the AFC playoffs. How's that sound? All right? Just let's fan better. Be better fans I'll try to cover the team better. We'll all try to do it better, just like the Browns are playing better. That's my message for you tonight, and uh, I listen. Hey, I appreciate everybody listening to the show, and uh, keep coming back. Uh, We're going to get up and out of here, and uh, if you want, you can tune in here at uh, 9 o'clock as I will be on the No Huddle Necessary uh, show uh, Nuts and Bolts Sports uh, has invited me on their uh, their show tonight, so I'll be over there talking some NFL uh, with them. But uh, big thanks to Craig Fountain, uh, Fountain uh, and go check out his show. Uh, big thanks to Mikey on the ones and twos. This has been another edition of All Eyes on Cleveland. Keep coming back. My name is Brad Ward. We are out. 